how does one become a pastor? How did I become a pastor? Well, in the United Methodist Church, the first thing that you do is you go and you meet with your pastor. You have a conversation with your pastor. They discern within you a calling that may be there. You pray together. You speak together. You read scripture together. You come to an understanding that you have a calling. Then you meet with your staff pastor parish relations committee, and they discern your calling. You talk to them about how God has called you into ministry and what this means for you and the kind of ministry God has called you to. Then, after the staff parish committee has approved you, you go before the church's charge conference at one point during the year, and the charge conference, the congregation at large, approves you for ordained ministry. You then go to meet the district superintendent, have a conversation with the district superintendent, and then he assigns you to a counseling elder who talks with you and prays with you, discerns your calling, discusses the nature of your calling, the kind of calling that you've got. And then you meet with the district committee on ordained ministry. And they do the same thing. They talk with you, they meet with you, they pray with you, they discern the nature of your calling, the kind of ministry to which you may have been called. And then they certify you as a candidate for ordained ministry, assuming they discern the calling within you. They certify you as a candidate for ordained ministry. And you've only just begun. It is indeed a very long process. You go to seminary, you go to the course of study, you get your educational requirements met, which uh, means an undergraduate degree and a graduate degree usually with um, Masters of Divinity with uh, education in the Bible and in theology, in worship, in the sacraments, in pastoral care, church administration, go on education, you can go on and on and on. Finally, you go uh, before the District Committee on Ordained Ministry again to be sent on to the Conference Board of Ordained Ministries Division of Preparations and Qualifications. Here you meet with a whole bunch of clergy and laity, and they also ask you the same kinds of questions. But they also ask you, in addition to the nature of your call, they ask you all sorts of theological questions to find out if your theology, your understanding of the Bible, and what it means to be a Christian, and what the church is called to do is in accord with Wesleyan theology and the theology of the United Methodist Church. Assuming that the Board of Ordained Ministry agrees that you have a calling and that your theology is sufficient and that your understanding of the faith is in accord with ours, then they'll approve you for commissioning. And then you go through a period of two years on probationary membership within the conference. Now, it used to be prior to 1992, you'd be ordained uh, an, uh, a deacon, but, and that's how I began. But uh, in 1991, I was ordained a deacon. But uh, nowadays, they commission you uh, on the elder track uh, for a pastoral ministry. And then you serve in an appointment for a couple of years while being examined and reviewed by uh, a group of your peers as well as the Board of Ordained Ministry. In other words, it keeps on going. So finally, after two years, you go back before the Board of Ordained Ministry are you getting tired? You, you go back before the Board of Ordained Ministry for yet another battery of examinations, another battery of papers and tests and psychological evaluations. Whew. They listen to your preaching. They critique your worship. They critique your theology. They critique the practice of your ministry and your appointments over the past two or more years. And if you're not already wiped out and exhausted and disgusted by the whole process, maybe, maybe, maybe they'll approve you. 
And if they approve you, then you meet before the conference clergy at large in what's called a clergy session at annual conference, and they ask you even more questions. And if they vote to approve you, up or down vote, and there's always a contrary one, by the way, there's always somebody there, and when they vote on the individuals, there's always somebody that raise their hand. No, why? Because there's somebody out there who says, you should never have a unanimous vote. No. So you're not supposed to look at them as they vote on you. So finally, you get voted in. Then you go to a worship service, an ordination service at annual conference. And you stand up before the gathered clergy and laity there. And the bishop examines you again. Like right here. There I am. Look at all that hair on my head. <laughs> and yes, next to me, that's Tom. So for some reason, W comes right after N in the alphabet. I didn't get it that year, but that's what he was. <laughs> he actually had hair on his sides of his head. Look at that. Well, that's me standing there next to Tom being examined by the bishop while we face the congregation there. This was at Custer Road United Methodist Church in 1994. Doesn't seem possible it was that long ago, 1994. Then, assuming the examination is through and you've succeeded, go to the next picture, and you succeeded, there's the bishop examining us, asking us questions, giving us counsel and advice, telling us to be dedicated to the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ and faithful to the calling we have received and obedient to the orders of the bishop. Ooh. You know, we don't ask uh, any party in marriages these days to be obedient or to obey. They ask us there to be obedient <laughs> and obey. Hmm. Assuming you've said yes, then you have to wait with your knees knocking in terror and in fear to be invited up into the chancel to kneel before the bishop and have the bishop place his hands on your head and ordain you. And I stood there waiting. I was certain that then when they called Gregory Scott Neal, that someone in the sanctuary would stand up and say, wait a minute, don't ordain him. I know something about him that will cause you not to want to ordain him. I had the imposter syndrome. I didn't deserve to be ordained. I knew who and what I was. I knew I wasn't worthy to be ordained. He was going to make a mistake when he placed his hands on my head. That's what I was thinking and that's what I was feeling. Until they called my name. And I had to take a step towards that chancel to kneel and to be ordained. Play that now. Lord, pour upon Gregory Scott the deal of the Holy Spirit for the office and work of an elder in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Wow. Watching it 24 years later, I still kind of choke up. Because I wasn't worthy to stand there. I wasn't worthy to kneel there. I wasn't worthy to have the bishop place his hands on my head and to say those words and to pray that prayer that the Holy Spirit would be poured upon me for the office and work of an elder in the United Methodist Church. I wasn't worthy to be a presbyter in God's holy church. I wasn't worthy to preach the word. I wasn't worthy to lead in prayer. I wasn't worthy to preside at the sacraments. I wasn't worthy, and I knew it. When my friends, Joe and John, came up to me with this stole, and I'm standing there, and they take the stole, this very stole, and they put it around my neck. I wasn't worthy to be ordained. I wasn't worthy to wear the stole. I knew it. But it was by God's grace. Indeed, it is always by God's grace that any of us Proclaim the gospel, live the gospel, serve others in the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is by God's grace that we do anything as the body of Christ. It is by grace that we approach the throne of grace. It is by grace that we receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. It is by grace that we pray. It is by grace that we serve. It is by grace that we proclaim the gospel in words and in deeds. It is by grace that we do anything as the body of Christ. For it is His grace that enables us to be the body of Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. I wasn't worthy to wear the stole. I wasn't worthy to stand there, to kneel there, and to be ordained. I was right to be afraid. But I was also wrong. Because God's grace is sufficient for me and for us all. God's grace is sufficient for us to be the people of God, to be the family of God, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. God's grace is sufficient and will always be abundantly sufficient prodigiously efficient for us all. Prodigiously sufficient, overflowingly sufficient for us all. My calling to ministry began when I was studying Scripture. I was studying this passage from Ephesians in a Bible study. The passage that I read today. And I was, I was turning my Bible, the pages in my Bible, and as I turned over the next page in my Bible where verses 7 through 10 were following on, verses 1 through 9 of, of chapter 3 of Ephesians, the passage that I read this morning, it was as if it was highlighted 
brightly for me. It wasn't. I hadn't touched it, but it was like someone had come in and highlighted it and it jumped off the page and slapped me in the face. I was made a minister. What? Me? No, not possible. I thought I was going to be a teacher. I thought I was going to be a teacher of the Bible. I thought I was going to teach theology and the Bible. That's what I was studying. That's why I was going to college. I was going to college to be a teacher. Not a pastor. A teacher. And yet, this passage says, Hello, Greg, pay attention to me. I was made a minister. According to the gift, of the grace of God <laughs> given unto me. It's going to have to be a gift unto me because I knew I was no preacher. I knew I was a teacher. I'd been teaching for a while. I enjoyed teaching. I liked teaching. I was in college planning to go off to graduate school to study to get my academic credentials so I could teach in graduate school and college. I was enjoying what I was doing. I knew God had called me to be a teacher. But this minister stuff, this preacher stuff, are you kidding me? No way. I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. It's going to have to be the gift of the grace of God. Given unto me by the effectual working of His power. It's going to take a lot of effectual working, my friends. I knew that. I told God that. Kind of like Moses when Moses said, Oh, don't send me. Send somebody else. I stutter. I can't do it. They won't listen to me. I did the same thing. I tried that with God. It doesn't work, friends. God, choose somebody else. I don't have any preachers in my immediate family. You got to go back to a great-grandfather to find the last preacher. Don't you know you call sons of preachers? Don't you know you call those who are the sons and daughters of pastors to be pastors themselves, not great-grandchildren? God, I'm a teacher, not a preacher. Come on. Mm -hmm. By the effectual working of His power, He was calling me. And I couldn't say no. That's the way God's calling is, by the way. You can't say no. You can try. You can fight it. You can run. You can pretend you're not hearing it, but it's there. I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. Well, he got that right. Less than the least of all saints. He got that right with me. Oh boy, is that ever true. It's the reason why I was scared. Less than the least of all saints. You know, Paul had that attitude about himself that we all ought to have. Few things make me more frustrated than my brother and sister pastors and clergy in the North Texas Conference and in other conferences and in other denominations who seem to think that they are the greatest gift of God to the church. I know that I am less than the least of the saints. And then anything that I might do is God's grace doing it through me. 
Say that amen again. Louder. Thank you. I know I'm less than the least of all saints. By grace, called by grace, enabled by grace, given effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. And boy, I fought it, friends, that I should preach. Oh, God, can't I just change, just change a couple? Make it teach. Get rid of the P and the R. Put in a T and make it teach. Can, I, can we do that, God? No. That I should preach among the Gentiles. That's us, friends. That's you and me. That's all of us. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Wow. The unsearchable riches of Christ. The riches of Christ that know no end. The riches of Christ that cannot be defined. The riches of Christ that cannot be fully explicated. That you will always be digging into. That you will always be reading. That you will always be studying. That you will always be proclaiming. The unsearchable riches of Christ. It's what I'm called to preach. I'm called to teach it too. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men, and I'm sorry King Jimmy, but that's women too, to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery. The fellowship of the mystery. The word mystery here in Greek is musterion. We get the word mystery from it. It's a cognate. Just a literally transliteration of the word, musterion to mystery. In Latin, they rendered that word sacramentum. Huh? Yeah. The fellowship of the mystery. The fellowship of the sacraments. The fellowship of God's gifts of grace. The fellowship of the means of grace. I'm called to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. My calling... My calling was to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to, by so doing, make all people see, help all people to see, guide people to see, to comprehend, to receive the mysteries of God's grace, the presence of Jesus Christ, the power of the means of grace for Christian living. It's part of the reason why I was so overwhelmed with the sacrament of Holy Communion in my first pastorate because this calling stood behind it. This is what I'm called to do, friends. I studied it in seminary and graduate school in my doctoral program because this was what I called to do. Help 
all people to see, experience, and know the fellowship of the mystery. That mystery being the presence of Christ for us all. Hmm. And to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. My calling. And, and the Board of Ordained Ministry kind of picked up on this. One of, the, one of the members of that board said, God, you think that God's giving you some pretty heavy marching orders, don't you? And I said, yes, I do. But isn't that something that we all have? We're all called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. We're all called to share with all people the mystery of Christ's presence in our midst and the wisdom of God on high. That's what we're called to do as the body of Christ, the church. That's who we are called to be as members of the body of Christ. And not just those of us who wear basic black or stoles on Sunday mornings, but all of us. For we are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, be we laity, deacons, local pastors, ordained elders, even bishops. We're all called to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ everywhere we go, with everyone we meet. We are all called, you are called, I am called to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. To receive them, to share them, to live them, to proclaim them. My sisters and brothers, that's what we're called to do. That's the calling of at least this pastor. And I believe that's the calling of us all. God has called you as part of the body of Christ. God has called you as part of the family of Christ. God has called you to be the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears and the lips of Jesus proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ to all. May we be doing that, my friends. Not just inside these walls with our next of kin, but outside them. In a world that needs to hear and to know the good news of the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. To a world that needs to hear and to know and to receive the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And may God's people say, Amen.